0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. On the Logistics of Logistics, I talk to experts in logistics and transportation, warehousing, fulfillment, supply chain, and of course, technology. And during these interviews, I'm always the one asking the dumb questions. I ask the dumb questions so you don't have to. Today's topic is five reasons to leave your 3PL with my friend Shane Hansen. Shane is the founder and CEO of Square One Distribution and Logistics, a 3PL warehousing company that is focused on the beauty and packaged food sector. They are based in Springfield, Missouri, and they are underground, which is a whole other topic we touch on. And that means they can keep very precise temperature control or climate control. The topic is an interesting one because we see so many companies right now struggling with their 3PLs. We talk about some of those very common reasons that the shipper 3PL relationship isn't working. Shane is a very interesting guy. So how's it going, Shane? Hey, Joe, it's going great. Thanks for having me. Shane, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today.
1: Yeah, you bet. Uh, Shane Hanson with Square One Distribution Logistics. Uh, We're based in Springfield, Missouri and we are part of an underground warehouse complex 3 million square feet underground we've got about 114,000 of it temperature controlled environment 68 degrees
0: which is fantastic most of the year so when you say underground you don't mean like stealth mode you mean <laughs> you mean truly underground explain why you're underground yeah truly underground so is this a bomb shelter you guys are working in? It could be. It <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure could be. I, I could tell you about some interesting things inside this facility that it goes back 50, 60 years. I'm no state sure secrets, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now that we have, uh, we have access to sunlight, which is fantastic. So the, originally, the, the company that owns this facility was a uh, excavation company. Uh, they mined limestone. So instead of making it just a big hole, like most limestone companies do... They mined underneath the ground, pulled out the limestone, and put warehouses underneath. So we are part of one of about twenty-five warehouses, and most of them have food or IT storage down here.
0: No way! I did not heard that before. Are there other locations that have done this?
1: Many, 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 many. Kansas City has a huge one. They're, really, they're all around the country. There's a lot of the America's food is stored underground because of the, the temperature.
0: So I live in the Detroit metro area and we have salt mines here, all sorts of salt mines. And I know they're big, never been in them, but I've seen pictures and I know people who work there. <laughs> so we could, I guess we used to be part of our ocean at one time <laughs> we prehistoric ocean makes sense. Now we got all the lakes, but that's crazy. So if you didn't do anything to control the temperature in your warehouse, what would the temperature be? Yeah, we don't do anything to control the
1: temperature. And it's like the very back part of our facility, it's 64, 65 degrees, the front part 68 degrees. And it varies little from month to month. If we have the docks open for loading a lot of trucks in the summertime, the dock area will get warm and it will get up into the seventies and down into the fifties and sixties, just in the very front. The storage areas are always between 64 and 68. Now you would think that there would have be no electric bill, but that's not the case. Humidity control is a big thing underground, so dehumidifiers run twenty four seven here. So I'm not saying that they make up for you know heating and air, but they get close.
0: Now, when you so you said you're in Missouri, right? That's right. And Springfield, how far is that from Kansas City?
1: Uh, three hours. We're three hours from Kansas City, three hours from St. Louis, three hours from Tulsa. We're pretty much three hours from everywhere.
0: All right, out. All right. So what teams do you cheer for over there? Chiefs, for sure. All right. Well, that's easy but lately. Well, it is now. <laughs> it wasn't in the 90s, <laughs> in the 2000s at all. Uh, you, you you, can't complain. I'm a Lions fan over here. So, You're right. <laughs> You're right. You're right. So, Shane, what do you guys specialize in over there? Uh, yeah. So the bulk of
1: the the clients that we service are in some form of uh, beauty, Right. So we started in hair care and because of the temperature control, skincare brands really gravitate toward us. Uh, we operate in packaged foods, a little bit in apparel, consumer goods, quite a bit as well. It's not related to that. We also have a rail dock that services up to eight rail cars at a time. So, we do a big transload business as well for you know, products coming and going into southwest Missouri.
0: So, when you say transload, what are you doing on those? We're unloading train cars. So, unloading train cars are them, they're not, up, is it palletized stuff?
1: Without going into too much detail, some of it is palletized, but uh, a bulk of what we are receiving in right now is uh, lead. And it's in, you've seen gold bricks. So, these. Come in Not like really. lead really. No, you haven't. Okay, like, just picture Fort Knox. Only in silver, so it's it's lead that comes in. I don't
0: own a 3PL, so I don't have a lot of gold bricks. Have
1: <laughs> well, I own one, and I don't either. <laughs> and and it's, so there's two battery factories in town, right? So we we unload a lot of lead to take to the battery factories. That's the that's our primary client there for the transload. We do a little bit of cross dock as well, uh, but the the bulk of what we do is we're an omni-channel fulfillment company. It's, it's, it's really nothing out of the ordinary of what other 3PLs do. So you would think, well, what's so special about you? Well, there's nothing special about us in what we do. Uh, we think we're special in how we do it though.
0: Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about five reasons to leave your 3PL. When we're talking about 3PL, we're talking warehousing and fulfillment, 3PL, not over the road stuff. So tell us a little bit about your background. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you started your company. So initially, I was,
1: I was from Nebraska. My mom was a bit of a gypsy, moved to Missouri. I grew up in Missouri. After high school, I joined the Army, spent some time and saw the world, came home, went to college, used the GI Bill for that. It was uh, an interesting time when I got out of school. There, the, the job market was just not very good. Initially, I thought I was going into the buyer training program at Walmart until I visited Walmart. And I I couldn't do it. It was a maze of cubicles. I just thought, no, that's not no. That's a wonderful company, it. but yeah. sometimes
0: you don't want to be in those big companies. By the way, I have always worked for small companies that did work with the biggest companies. And even though I enjoy the people I worked with, I always used to say, I don't know if I could be here long term. Nothing against it. Sure. I have so many friends and family that have worked for large companies and done real love by it.
1: Just not what I wanted. Yeah, yeah. me neither. So initially I thought, I'm going to do something. It's my, my degree, I graduated from Missouri State and with a, a business degree. So I thought I would own my own business. And while I was in, in school, I worked in a warehouse, right? So I worked at Zenith, the old TV manufacturer, right? So I drove a did they get bought by Did they get bought by somebody or did they just go out of business? I don't know. I think they, they exited to Mexico and I'm really not sure what happened to them after that. I, I, you that don't was see a big brand. brand. Yeah, it was huge. Huge. And then I also worked with the Center for Research and Development at Missouri State University. And there was a program there where we evaluated uh, new products. So inventors would bring their products to try to get into Walmart back when Walmart was all about American made. And that was my connection to the Walmart buyers, right? So I worked in both of those capacities while in school and nearly flunked out of school because of that. (laughs) <laughs> and finally, I thought, I gotta, I have to quit one of these jobs. I made more money driving a forklift at Zenith, but the other job really was more in the career path that I wanted to go. So I quit the Zenith job and really focused on innovation and, and new product inventions. So after I graduated college, I got a job as a warehouse manager in a very small warehouse in the beauty industry, hair care. And keep in mind, my mom and my two aunts were both hairdressers and I wanted nothing to do with it. But it was a it was a good small company. The owners were fantastic people. Very small though, and I got to experience a lot of different things. So started as the warehouse manager, eventually promoted operations manager, vice president. The wife stepped back out of the business and so I pretty much ran everything with the exception of the outside sales force. And uh, the owner of the company, he was he was he's an outside sales guy. He's, he's fantastic at what he does. He's visionary, sees opportunities, and he let me handle the back end of the business. So we ended up growing that business into the largest privately owned hair care distributorship in America. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It took, it, it took 25 years. So it wasn't like it was overnight. Right. So right. I got to experience a lot of things as a business owner because he really let me, let me see the good, the bad, the ugly. I wasn't just an employee. So then, uh, you know, after 25 years, uh, midlife crisis, right? So no fare, no sports car, (laughs) career change. Just a damn warehouse. Right. (laughs) So my, you know, my wife is really risk averse and she was just, Shane, you have a great job. What are you doing? And after a Friday afternoon conversation with my boss, with the owner of the company, keep in mind, we'd just been through seven acquisitions and I started a 3PL for that parent company seven acquisitions in four years and started the 3PL and we're having a conversation. And he says, so so what's next, Shane? He's Australian, right? So he actually, he said, what's next mate? And I said, (laughs) uh, I want to start my own business. He's like, okay, that's not what I was thinking (laughs) at all. I said, yeah, I I know. But uh, if I'm going to do it, I'm 49. If I'm going to do it, I need to do it now. And he's like, you know, I'll support you, but I got one question for you. Have you told Kim this? That's my wife. (laughs) Of course I had not. And he said, well, let's do this. Let's keep it between you and me until you have that conversation. (laughs) So we did. And so I I went home and and told her. And over the course of a few weeks, we both agreed to let's do it. The worst case is I could always get another job, right? You you think you could. So I did. So I I gave notice, and the owner, um, he helped me with the, uh, cause we had the 3PL that I had started there. And he said, mate, just take the two brands that you have with me. If you're not here to run that 3PL, I'll just close it. So you just take it. So I did. So I had eight months as I uh, ramped up to find my replacement and turn my duties over and facilitate finding clients, right? So I actually had a business without a warehouse. I had a 3PL warehouse without a working warehouse. That wasn't the easiest thing to do to convince clients to come. However, I had a lot of contacts in the beauty industry. And that's where I started. And I ended up picking up two additional clients and from there it was just went from there. So
0: what made you think that you obviously saw there was an opportunity? What what opportunity did you, did you see? Was it just e commerce? I mean we all saw that, but it was what what did you think wasn't being managed as well as it might be?
1: No, it wasn't necessarily even the the, the e-commerce side of things because that really hadn't, obviously it picked up, but it was you know pre-COVID and the, the, the inside information that I had was it, it's definitely going to take off, but there's always going to be beauty distributors. Amazon is a bigger part of the business. You need to be able to provide services to support these brands in Amazon. And in the back of my mind, I thought, I'm gonna branch away from beauty, right? I'm gonna, I'll be able to, if you can do fulfillment for beauty, you can do fulfillment for anything, right?
0: So let me ask you this, why is beauty harder? I mean, because my first thought is food, temperature controlled is tough. I would also say pharma is tough because of the regulations. And well, I've never thought of beauty as tough. I'm, I'm sure it is. Everything's tough. <laughs> but Everybody why did you see that as the toughest? I know.
1: Uh, yeah. So it's liquids, right? So much of it is liquid, and liquids leak. They're easily damaged. Also, on the a lot of the products have an exterior box that is really fragile, and it's if it's going to be retailed, it needs to be perfect. So you can't have any kind of nicks or you know, dents or dings or anything to it, right? And a lot of things that leak don't leak until it's until you're on a truck and it's vibrated. And sometimes those packages ride upside down, right? So enough vibration occurs, and the and the bottles will just begin to leak. Does that stuff any? Does that stuff melt? Yeah, some of it can. Particularly, like a lot of men's products, like things that come in pucks, can melt, and it changes the consistency of it. Also, skincare. Obviously, the the viscosity of that is really important.
0: Yeah, see, that's one of that's what I was thinking. Is this a lot of that stuff is selling for hey, this little makeup kit that sells for seventy five dollars? And a lot of it's, I know there's a science behind all those com- cosmetics. I'm not downplaying that, but let's face it, it sells because branding, and it sells because. Nicole Kidman was wearing it on TV, right? right. And so if it comes and it's supposed to be creamy and it's flaky instead because it was not managed correctly or, you know, I paid $100 for this beauty cream and it's (laughs) separated, (laughs) the liquids are
1: separated. Yes, right. You know, presentation matters. So when, you know, somebody paid $100 for a skincare product, and they open it, and it's just thrown in a box, and it looks terrible,
0: it doesn't project that it's a $100 skincare item. Shane, we're really good-looking humans, and it's hard for us to understand what it's like for others to try and look like we look naturally. (laughs) (laughs) With With that, we'll switch gears. So before we hit record, we were talking about, you know, why people leave their 3PLs. And again, when we're talking 3PLs, probably a lot of this applies to over the road 3PLs too, but God, some things just jumped out when we were talking. We just kind of quickly agreed because it comes up a lot lately because I think we saw this spurt e commerce during COVID and even before, but we also seen a lot of small brands kind of looking around for help. And we've seen big brands pick a 3PL that doesn't work. And we're seeing all sorts of buyer remorse and, the guy who introduced us, Joe Spizak over at fulfill.com, he helps people pick 3PLs. He also helps 3PLs find customers. And he was talking about the difficulty of picking a 3PL if you've never done it before. And now you pick. And again, human nature just kicks in. I talk to somebody who I get along with and I want it to work and I pick them and then it doesn't work. And I got my whole life in their building. That's right. That's right. So it's when you make that mistake, it's painful (laughs) to have to unravel. So much. But anyway, we talked about five things. So uh, I'll read them off and then I want to get your two cents out. So the first thing, and you said it right away, you said lack of responsiveness. (laughs) Speak to that one. Yeah. So great
1: timing. And maybe it's just because I you know, I had a call this morning with a prospective client uh, who is in a 3PL situation and she's absolutely miserable. And, you know, I've encouraged her to work through it and she's just not, she's not going to. And she said, I would try Shane, but my contact there and I have a dedicated person is just completely unresponsive. And if I do get through to them, they don't do what they say they're going to do or in some cases they actually do do what they say they're going to do but they don't tell me they did it so I have no idea and so the, the, the lack of responsiveness is concerning and sometimes I think it's uh, you know we'll hit on it a little bit later but maybe it's not the right fit, right maybe they're not yeah, a bad go yeah.
0: right <laughs> yeah and you know It's interesting, though, you discourage her from me making a move. And another thing we talked about, and it's not one of our five things, I think switching 3PLs is a very, very dangerous thing. So I always say, please spend the time with your current 3PL. Now, if you're in business long enough, you're going to have a customer for whatever reason you have to part ways. And if you have to do that, much better off to say, hey, I was working with this guy, doing the very best we can, we're having regular meetings and it's just just the wrong thing. So we're going to separate. What's well, a lot easier is separate after they go, yeah, we have saw this coming. We've been discussing it for months. It ain't working. But if you're not getting that responsiveness and you know, nobody wants to feel like that nag. I thought we've all experienced this where you're like, I sent you an email. You didn't respond to me. And then I sent you again and you're like, oh, sorry. No, I do that. We all do that. But, but if it, that's the way our relationship is, it's hard to work with someone like that.
1: It just is. And, and I, f- I felt bad for her being in that situation. So, you know, j- just to make sure we were the right fit. So I asked her a series of questions to, to make sure she wasn't unreasonable in her nature. She wasn't unreasonable at all. The other thing that she stressed with that is not just the lack of responsiveness, but the lack of lack of flexibility. The answer was just always no. Can we do this? No. No.
0: Nope. <laughs> okay. That brings us to our second one, which is not a good fit. Now, I know you could talk about this one all day because we were talking about it for probably 20 minutes before we hit record. But sometimes you pick a 3PL and with the right intentions, but it's not a good fit. Please elaborate.
1: A lot of reasons why. I'll tell you about a, a customer, a, a potential client rather that uh, we're talking with right now. They're looking at moving some of their business to us. They're very satisfied with a portion of their business. The, the current 3PL provider who is doing all of their large retail orders and things like that, they're fine with that. But that company does do, they do no e-commerce fulfillment. And if they do do it, they don't do it well and they hate it. So they want to move the e-commerce fulfillment to us. So we'll take that. But that other 3PL has just said, it's not an area we wanna be in, and it's not an area we will ever be in. So if you need to find another provider, find another provider. And, and it worked in the beginning because they didn't have an e-commerce presence, right? This brand did not have an e-commerce uh, need, but now they do. So sometimes it's just y- you outgrow or you go in a different direction from what your 3PL's strengths or their primary capabilities are. So that would be probably the first thing I would say,
0: right? Yeah and and sometimes it's and i think all of warehousing companies are starting to develop niche you know, specializations and i always say don't pick a 3pl that doesn't specialize in your product so if i say i'm a e-commerce brand and eventually we're going to do some retail and you go to somebody that says oh we will never ship to retail locations you're like well then i can't come here or i always say don't let them learn on your dime if I'm going to say I'm moving makeup, I want to come to Shane. and goes, So oh, we move makeup every day, all day. <laughs> we, we get, we understand the problems better than you do. And I'm like, okay, that's who I want to work with. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Great point. So the specialization, right. So, you know, and I made a big deal about the beauty industry. So we, we work outside beauty of course, but it seems like the, the beauty segment has the most, I'm just gonna say needs, right? So one of the things that we've done to address that within our own warehouse environment is we have a brand advocate that is in our warehouse. So let's just take Natalie. She's a, she's one of our warehouse associates. She works with three brands and she is the expert on the floor regarding those brands. She knows what lids need to be tightened. If it can go wrong with that brand, she knows it, right? So, and she shares it with the rest of the team, right? And she, she's a primary picker for those brands, but there's other people who are going to pick it. And she has a one page sheet that she has next to that area. So if somebody's going to pick in that area, if they're not familiar with it, they have to read that. So they don't miss anything. So specialization is, is, is a big thing. The size of the company is a big thing. Are you important? Are you, are you really, are you really small and they're really big? Well then as much as you want to think you're important, you're just not going to be as important as you want to be.
0: That is such a big deal because I think we had a lot of e-commerce companies pop up in the I'm sorry, we had a lot of e-commerce companies grow in the last five years, let's just say. And we've also had a whole bunch of e-commerce fulfillment companies pop up. So when you're small and you're an e-commerce fulfillment company, you say, Yes, we can work with you. We're small too. This works out great. And then as you grow, and you start going, God, we're doing like 100 orders a month for this guy or 10, and we got to hold his hand because he doesn't have, he doesn't get it like our bigger customers does. So, so sometimes you start to realize that people I said yes to, I have to say no to now. And I've heard a lot of 3PL say, yeah, that's happened to us. We can't work with small companies anymore because we can't provide the handholding they need. And it's a painful thing
1: it is it's, it's just like' they're entrepreneurs, and you you feel for them, you want to help in any way you can, but you're right sometimes they 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 will take more time away than somebody who's doing you know ten a hundred times the volume you know because they don't know they don't know
0: by the way, if you are one of those people, go over to fulfill dot com' find you. <laughs> because because Joe Spizak, who's just on my podcast who introduced me to Shane. He said, we were one of those companies before he started a 3PL and then started Fulfill.com, which is a marketplace. He said, we were that too small customer. We we had a, they had a board game, I think him and his wife created. And he said, you don't know you're too small until they tell you. Well, they didn't know. Right. Again, you think, you think everybody you bring on as a early on in your business is going to work out, but some of those shippers don't grow as fast as the 3PL based
1: space. Right. You know, I think another aspect of it is when a 3PL, you kind of have to sell yourself to the 3PL because if you are small and starting out, like if you if you came to us and you had no sales plan, if you're from another country, we have a lot of people come from overseas to, they they see the United States as a big gold pot, I think. And they they think if they just bring product here, put it in a warehouse, then eventually people will just find it. That's just not the case. So we really ask in detail what the sales plan is. What channels are you going to pursue? Are you going to have representation here in the U.S.? Because if not, what we found is it just doesn't work.
0: Yep. Yep. So the first one we talked about is lack of responsiveness. Big problem. That's one of the reasons you leave your 3PL. Next one is it's not a good fit. And that could be because they don't specialize in your product. Also, that can sometimes you're too small for that three PL. And maybe you didn't start off as too small, but you are now. <laughs> or, right. and then one of the things you came to really quick when we were talking about this is you said quality of result. And what do you mean by quality of result? Speak to that one.
1: Yeah, that that can vary quite a bit, you know, based on each individual uh, situation. But um, you know what I hear from other prospective clients is they just can't get anything right. And that could mean damages in transit. That could mean mispicks, inventory variances. They just don't do anything right. Uh, They don't pay attention to the details. Stuff doesn't look good when it gets to my clients, right? Those are the things that we hear that that you can easily mitigate, not easily necessarily on, on the transportation side. But for instance, like let's say damages. So what do you do with damages? Do we just say... Well, hey, we we put it in a box, we packed it, and UPS. Got broke, man. (laughs) Yeah, it just happens, you know? It just happens. And stuff does happen. We understand that, you know? You you see tire tracks on stuff, and, you know, you don't try to really explain too much what happened. You know, something ran over it. But in the area that we live in now, there's so much feedback by, by pictures. Everybody has a cell phone. So and everybody's accustomed to taking pictures of the damages. And I got to tell you, it looks like it's a CSI crime scene here uh, because we investigate every single damage. And a lot of times, you know, a new employee will just be like, oh, it's damage, right? Well, after working with us for a bit and they go through the five whys, they realize it happened for a reason. And if-
0: it's so, to explain what the five whys is for people who haven't had to do that. Okay, well,
1: I'm not a five-wise expert. Okay, there are people who, are, who really understand the science of that better, but... I don't think it needs to be a science. It's just five questions. Yeah, it's five questions. So <laughs> why did this happen? It, because, and, and sometimes the, 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 the photographic evidence is, it's really apparent. And you can determine what happened very easily. The lid came off. The lid is separated from the product. The lid came off. So why did the lid come off? Because we didn't tighten it. Why didn't we tighten it? Because it's not on our procedures to tighten it. Why isn't it? Because the lid has never come off before. It's never been a problem. So should we be proactive and look at this brand to check the torque on all of the rest of the lids? Because we had this exact thing happen. There was a product that looked like it would never leak. It would never be a problem child like that. But it was not it happened twice in two weeks. And the client obviously was upset, rightfully so, and we fixed it.
0: So when we talk about the quality results it could be mispicked, it could be damaged, but what you just jump to real quick is what you guys are doing is you're real causing that you're going and you're asking use five why's, which is just asking five you're asking the question five times. so you say, "Joe, why is this customer unhappy?" And I say, "Because of this." And you say, "Well why did that happen?" And I say, "Well, because of this," and you gave an example, but you just keep asking why until you get to a place where you go. That's the root cause, or pretty close to the root cause. It's a great way to go. And by the way, we talked about this four-hit record, and I think it's so important. I will work with somebody for a long time if they are always improving and if they are completely open and honest about what they're doing wrong. We broke this, our carrier did this, and here's what we're going to do to prevent it going forward. What is horrible is when you get to a place where somebody's not being forthcoming about the mistakes and not root causing it and not not getting better, yeah, just accepting it yeah it's, it's there's a there's a lot to be said and and by the way that's it's there's two ways here if I'm working for you, Shane, and I say, Shane, you know what happened uh this this got broken, and you go oh my God, you're such an idiot. This I, I couldn't put up with this anymore, but I'm like, okay, that's, I don't say it to you, but I say it to myself. Shane can't handle the truth, so I will no longer share it. And right. if you keep shooting the messenger, yeah. the messenger won't come. And as shippers, we need to learn that. And as bosses, we need to learn that because it, that is poison. And I've had bosses who just seem to obsess about a problem after you tell them and you're like, guys, please no longer share negative information with the boss. He can't handle it. And you know, it's the boss's (laughs) job. You can't
1: handle the truth. That's that's right. And you know, it's the boss's job though to to filter a little bit, right? So if, if the client is really, really upset and you come back and you project you're really, really upset instead of trying to be solutions focused, you have to absorb what that client is giving you, right? Absorb it. But then you have to, you have to switch gears and you have to go put on your solutions focused hat and exactly what you said. If you just go berate that person who picked that order, well, maybe they deserve it, but probably not. They'll be hiding the problem from now on. Right. (laughs) Oftentimes it's it's a training issue or an awareness issue. In that case, like with that, that thing that baffled us twice, like, I, I don't know why that is happening, but let's find out why. And it took us, it took us probably 30 minutes and, The key was to actually walk back and pick up the product. In every case we opened, that lid, the torque was not on it. And that was a new development in that batch. It had always
0: been torqued just fine. Yeah, I remember being an automotive guy from my early career. And I remember being in, we had this problem in China. We we had this, and somebody kept saying, it's a gas problem. Part of these regions of China just have cheap gas and that's our problem. And I go, yeah, but the quality issues all across the country, they're not. And so- the next time I had people in the country, I asked one of my engineers, I said, I need you to walk the line. <laughs> Everything with the fuel tank, walk the line and tell me what's going wrong. And I remember he called back and it was just something that was not noticed that was happening. But just sometimes it doesn't need a whole uh, five whys is great because anybody can learn it, right? Walking. Walking the process, you notice what's wrong, right? Usually. Just put eyes on it. Yep. Yep. So the first thing we talked about is lack of responsiveness. That's one reason you leave the 3PL. Number two is not a good fit. Maybe they don't specialize in what you guys do. Maybe you're too small for them. Number three, we talked about quality results. You could be like mispicked or damaged. And you said something I think is interesting is it's not just... Things going wrong. It's how do they handle it? Do they give a damn that something went wrong? Do they actually correct it, or do they just kind of go? Shit happens. It happens. (laughs) Yeah, it happens. And we
1: know sometimes it does happen, but you can't tell a client that it just happens, right? You got to find the reason why. it's God's God's
0: will, Shane. It's God's will. (laughs) Sometimes it is. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. I have no doubt. So the number four, and this is one that I. Brought up, but of course, we both agreed on this one is communication. And you kind of touched on this earlier. And I will say formal communication, which might be we have a meeting once a month or once a quarter or once a week, whatever the meeting cadence is. But also, it's that informal communication. And I've said this before people who hold you at arm's length, you don't work with them for long. And we've all experienced it. Somebody's like, Don't have time, Shane. I don't have time. I can't meet with you. We can't talk about the KPIs. I don't have time to come visit. And you're like, all right. And then one day, you lose that business, they go, well, yeah, some things went wrong. You're like, yeah, no doubt. You didn't tell us, but no doubt, right? Right. right. We've all experienced that. Somebody holds you at arm's length and then somehow expects that it's all gonna work. So speak to some of the communication challenges that you see out there.
1: Yeah, well, I think you're exactly right. So I, I think it, it starts with the, the formal communication. Is there a regularly scheduled communication? and? not all clients will want that or right. even need it right and <laughs> they don't need it all the time but but some do particularly if it's a high touch early in the process maybe maybe you're in the first year of the relationship there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong right and you're handling their baby
0: Yeah. And I think sometimes we talked about this before we hit record. Sometimes if the client is overseas, it gets really sticky because they might be in a different time zone and it's hard, but that's when it's even more important that you make the time to do it. Yeah. Well, my point to that, I think would be, you know, we deal with a lot of overseas clients and
1: the time is not a surprise. Uh, We know before we sign them, (laughs) they're in Australia. There's a 17 and a half hour time difference in Adelaide, Australia, depending on the time of year. It's not a surprise. So there are times where, you know, we have to conduct training, you know, their early morning, our evenings, and, you know, we have to be responsive. We work for them. We're their provider. And we also need to pay attention to their preferred method of communication. So, you know, in the U.S., we don't really use WhatsApp. The rest of the world, they use WhatsApp all the time. Oh, yeah.
0: My old roommate from college lives over, he lives in Canada. And he's always says, just call me on WhatsApp. I'm like, dude, where do you live? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Yeah.
1: But it's 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 basically free calling anywhere in the world or texting. And that's their preferred method of communication. So guess what? With that client, that's our preferred method of communication. Some people, even domestically, they're email driven, but they want a response immediately.
0: I mean, if, if an email sits in the inbox for 30 minutes, that's too long. And I know you probably experienced this. You have a t- big team over there is Sometimes you need to make the phone call to say to tell Shane the bad news. So if I'm if I'm moving something for you, Shane, and it's late, and you said it absolutely positively has to be there by four o'clock, and I now can't get it there by four o'clock, I could send you a text, and you might respond, "Okay," or "Fine," <laughs> right? But is that a fine? I'll never work with you again, or fine? I'll make a call. We'll be okay. That's why you got to pick up the phone. I know this is some people are cringing right now and saying, I can't, I can't call a person and say, Shane, I got bad news. And that's necessary because I can hear your tone of voice. And some people prefer texting, but I always say there's a, when I've got bad news, I want to hear how you take it if you go and... A lot of business done by text now. I've got text messages all the time that is official biz. So I'm not against it. I'm not against emails. I'm not against any of that. But sometimes you got to make the phone call and you have to figure out what's the preferred way of communicating with the people you're working with. I agree. I agree. Yeah. We have phones for a reason, right? Yep. Yep. Got my, I, I got to tell you, I have a mom, my mom's older. My mom's Is she really? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> she, she's older lady and she's always like, hey that guy who shovels my snow can you he's not answering the phone i go because he can't <laughs> i said i'll text him she goes oh my god <laughs> that's just the way so, it is it's the world so we live so in he will respond so anyway the last one we talked about here and i want you two cents on it is outgrew your 3pl i know what that means but give me some examples and give me some of your insights into this shane yeah.
1: Okay. So, you know, we were a small 3PL um, in the very beginning. So we understand what it's like. There are limitations in expertise, leadership, technology. But if you're going to be a, a, a viable provider for these type of services, you, you just have to invest in real 3PL technology, right? You have to scan, you have to give clients a portal. They have to have visibility of the orders. You have to provide visibility to inventory because sometimes they don't even track their own inventory, right? They're using your system as their inventory management systems in some cases. So you have yeah. to provide full access 24-7. You have to have integrations with their platforms, their ERP platforms, Shopify, WooCommerce, whatever it is. You have to be able to deal with retailers, right? So when we first started, you know, we kind of looked at each other like, what, we're shipping to Walmart? Isn't there like a big, long guideline, big book about how to ship to Walmart? Right. Well, you figure it out. And most of them have got some nuances, but it's not it's not rocket science. As you rocket science, you can't figure it out, but you better figure it out. Otherwise, there's going to be chargebacks and it's going to cost people money. Right. You. But the technology is, is crucial. And I see a lot of 3PLs are resistant to add that. So the brands will outgrow them. They're dissatisfied with the performance and your performance is just not going to be as good if you lack technology. And,
0: and by the way, I do talk to a lot of people who call me, and I always refer to this, there's a warehousing company not too far from me, Don Expressway. And I've seen, I, I know where they're at. They call and say, hey, can you help us grow?" And I was like, did you ever buy a WMS? They're like, well, if we get a few customers, we'll buy one. I was like, yeah, I said, I, I understand where they're at. I, we've all been in where you're kind of saying that's a big investment if I don't get customers, but that's right. Who wants to work with that guy? It's going to be very small. Probably customers you don't want. <laughs> right, right. And we've seen this outgrowing three PLs. It goes the other way too. Sometimes three PLs take on small customers when they're when they're small, and then as they get bigger, they're like, "No thanks, I don't want to work with the small guy." But we are also seeing this other one, which is. An e-commerce brand, or maybe it's a traditional retail brand that says we need e-commerce, and they said their existing three PL says we're just not good at that. That's right. Like your experience with that,
1: yeah. Or vice versa, right? So there's there's other three PLs that are starting up that they focus on just e-commerce. Sometimes it's because of space considerations. You can't house a thousand pallets, right? So if you're a very small three PL, you don't have the space for that. You can do fulfillment. And you might be working in 10 or 15,000 square feet, but you're not going to house very much inventory, so you can't support the rest of their business, right? Yep.
0: You know, in a way, we just kind of look and say, warehousing and fulfillment is something that I should be able to go out and get. But increasingly, they are developing specializations. Now, if you look at a Amazon Fulfillment Center online, that is not those conveyors and all that that is not for <laughs> for big and bulky it is not for low volume it is not for you can store stuff in our facility if you're working with amazon it is go 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 there is nothing that is going to be stored here if you want to store something get out right <laughs> right and what we're finding is as the warehouses specialize we like that but it means that a lot of the 3pls that you might be working with that have the no specialization, or not the specialization that you need. We're gonna play musical chairs for a while. Yes, yeah, so, but, but you know the <laughs> it, it's it's the
1: brand's responsibility to tell that three PL where they're lacking, right? So I mean, they have the ability to potentially put that that business partner out of business, right? So you had mentioned the the one who was eighty percent of their business. Well, they had to leave because the three PL was just not keeping up. But you need to give them some sort of notice. It's the right thing to do. Give them some sort of notice and they're probably not going to be able to to stay with you,
0: but they can then begin to find another client. See, what's different about warehousing and fulfillment versus over the road? If I'm working over the road and I say, yeah, I do about, I do 100 shipments a month and I use a few different carriers, a few different brokers. If I don't like one, I just don't call them anymore. <laughs> but when I say, I want to get rid of my warehousing guy, I got to do that nicely. I got to show up with, box of candy (laughs) big smile on my face (laughs) yeah you know unfortunately
1: sometimes it doesn't end well and you know I've I've been the receiving end of a a lot of brands that have left other 3PLs and come to our place so we will take the lead on the relationship with the other 3PL because sometimes just talking the same language you know the odds are they want their stuff out of there as well but it also takes the burden off of that client you just got to be you got to be upfront with them they're not you know, we've had people leave us with, and we came to that conclusion that we were not the best fulfillment center for them. And we worked with them to uh, introduce them to others. Right. And they went to others. So
0: yeah. it just got a fit. I worked with a guy and I, and he was fantastic. And he would know if he's listening and by the way, everyone always should be listening. And he said, I don't know what world class is, but I will figure that out. You and as part of my team will help me figure out what world-class is and then we will become world-class and we're not world-class right now that's my problem that's also your problem Shane help me become world-class and if and then we work towards that and for whatever reason if you say I'm not willing to do what you need me to do I get it you want to be world-class and I'm not the right guy to help you get the rest of the way on that journey but if you can start off saying, I'm going to work with you, and I want to work with you. And sometimes it might require, let's move some heads around who aren't getting along. But I've, I truly believe you should go through that exercise of saying, how do we get to be where we need to be world class? And if we're not going to get there, let's at least leave this in a way where we said so we tried to work together to get there. And then nobody can feel bad. You go, hey, I wasn't the right guy, <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. And with warehousing and fulfillment, you have to do it that way because otherwise you're like, Hey, we need to pick up our stuff. You're like, yeah, I just put it out in the driveway. Come get it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Not you cool. don't want that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I know you would never do that to me. So I'm going to summarize this. and I want to get your final thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up. So we're talking to Shane Hanson and we're talking about five reasons to leave your 3PL. And, lack of responsiveness. That was the first thing you mentioned when we were talking about it. Number two is not a good fit. They don't specialize in what you need them to specialize in. Number three is quality of result. Maybe they're mispicking things. Maybe it's damage. Maybe it's service service areas wrong. It's not just the quality of result. It's how they respond to it. Are they root causing the problem? Are they taking ownership of those problems or are they just kind of saying, "Hey." stuff happens. Number four is communication. That's formal, informal, written, reports, all that. You got to make sure that communication is the game changer in logistics and transportation. If you don't do that right, you lose. Number four, number five, I should say, is you just outgrew your 3PL. You got bigger and better and you you know there's technology out there and there's efficiencies out there and they aren't bringing it and they aren't worried about bringing it. Time to move. <laughs> so Final thought, Shane Hansen.
1: Ask questions, right? So sometimes the uh, the, the process happens so quickly that you, you think I have to move so fast to to get a 3PL. Interview lots of 3PLs. Find one that not just matches your personality with the person that you're talking to on the phone, but I always recommend ask for references. Do, you have, <laughs> do they have clients that will actually talk to you, right? So I've I introduced many prospective clients to current clients, and and I tell those clients, and, and they're, they're, I have to be respectful of their time because I don't bring everybody to them, but I'm like, you know what, tell them what it's like working with us every day because don't sugarcoat it because sometimes, sometimes what we do together is hard, okay? So tell them that, right? So ask a lot of questions, compare pricing, right? So in a lot of 3PLs, it's very difficult to get apples to apples. Some 3PLs hide fees, others are just really transparent you know the old saying if it's too good to be true it probably is too good to be true right and i'll just put this out there you know we don't have a ton of extra capacity so i'm not looking for a lot of extra clients right now but if anybody wants a second set of eyes on and, and joe can do that as well right another a second set of eyes to evaluate is this too good to be true just yeah, hit me okay. up. I, I can't I'll do it, it as well as
0: you can, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I, I see lots of others, and, and for the most part, I think the industry is very good, and, and they're transparent in what they do. But sometimes you're just like, there is no way.
0: I think. I think the problem is when people are very interested in growth and really anxious to make it work. And you know, we really have to start looking at this as: is it a good fit? Not. It's almost like dating, it's right? Like a marriage, where it has. Yeah. We can't say. I mean, it's going to sell this guy. Because you sell somebody who doesn't work for your location, you've done yourself any favors. They're going to cost you money in the long run, and they're going to cost you a reputation. And as salespeople, we have to say, is this a good fit? And and you just gave the good advice, which is ask questions, shop around. And by the way, I, you should also go over to fulfill.com because they've got a whole long list of Fulfillment and warehousing companies. For sure. And they will help you pick pick a, a, the right 3PL. And um, picking the wrong one is painful. So we don't want to do that. So before we go, I want to ask you, how do we reach out and talk to you? And who is the ideal customer for you guys?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think for us, you know, having limited uh, capacity right now, and we are looking at a 127,000 square foot building. I don't have the, the the client base to add that just yet. So if you are a really big client, work I'll work with you on that. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, really, you know, it, it's a uh, if you're in the the beauty sector, that's a great place to be for us. Package food is is fantastic. We excel in single piece all the way up through full truckloads. So we can support omni-channel fulfillment. But I will tell you that the really the target customer for us is somebody who is. You know, maybe got you know 500 to 5,000 orders a month. Really, that's that's who. Then we 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 spread uh, the business around. We're not you know too involved with one particular client, and I think we do a good job with that segment. Right. So if you're like 500 to 5,000 customers or orders a month, that's really our wheelhouse. We're very efficient in that and uh, and accurate
0: as well. Now is that e-commerce orders?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'll just tell you, 5,000 uh, orders to Walmart in a month would be out of our wheelhouse. That's not <laughs> what we would do. All
0: right. Well, what I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, and I'll put a link to your website and any other links you give me. And I really appreciate you taking the time. What conferences do you guys get to any conferences?
1: This year, we're probably going to go to the the, the big hair care one in Vegas, uh, Cosmoprof, and that's in July. Other than that, I think that's the only one we're uh, planning on going to this year. Nothing in the logistics side this year.
0: All right. All right. Well, anybody who's listening to this hair care, they know where to find you. So, Shane, I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. Yep. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward.